We now come to Prime Minister's questions. Joanna Cherry. Yeah, yeah. Number one, please, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, on Monday I met the families of Grace O'Malley Kumar, Barnaby Webber, and Ian Coates, who were killed in Nottingham. I assured them that we would do whatever it takes to get the answers that they want. And, Mr. Speaker, following constructive dialogue over past months, I welcome the significant steps the DUP have taken to yeah, make restoration yeah, 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 yeah. of the executive possible. I also thank the other political parties in Northern Ireland for the patience that they have shown. After two years without an executive, there is now the prospect of power sharing back up and running, strengthening our union, giving people the local accountable government that they need, and offering a brighter future for Northern Ireland. Yeah. Our honourable friend, the Northern Ireland Secretary, will be making a statement shortly. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week I met with a constituent who was employed not by the post office but by a supermarket who operated a franchise post office. She was wrongly accused of dishonesty as a result of the faulty horizon system and she was put through a disciplinary process by her employers, the supermarket. This has had a very profound impact on her life. She's not alone. There are others in her position, and yet there's no provision for compensating people who worked in franchise post offices like her. Will the Prime Minister give me a commitment to include these victims in the Horizon Scandal compensation scheme? Well, first of all, can I say I'm very sorry to hear about the Honourable Lady's constituent's case. As I've said, this was an awful miscarriage of justice, and everyone affected uh, deserved not just justice but also compensation and answers. Uh, I'll make sure that we look into the precise details of her constituent's case, and surely there will be others like that, and make sure that the Minister gets back to her with all due haste. Henry Smith. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, plays a significant part in the sector's decarbonisation. Uh, will my right and more friend, the Prime Minister, commit to further policies for a SAF mandate uh, to generate uh, greater demand for a revenue support mechanism uh, such as other sectors, solar uh, and uh, wind power generation as well, and so that work starts? Uh, by the end of next year on the five promised sustainable aviation plants here in the UK. Prime Minister. I can give my uh, honourable friend the assurance that we are committed to ensuring the SAF mandate will be in place by 2025. And by mandating the use of sustainable aviation fuel, not only will we be able to deliver carbon savings, but also create a brand new UK market. Uh, and as one of the steps in introducing the revenue certainty mechanism that he talks about by uh, 2026, DFT will be consulting in the spring this year on options for how that should work in practice. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in welcoming the DUP statement about the return of the Northern Ireland Executive? This is an important moment, and we now need all sides to work together to get Stormont back up and running for the people of Northern Ireland. Mr Speaker, I too met the families of Grace, Barnaby and Ian on Monday, um, and it's impossible to express in words the horror that they have been through and continue to go through. We must all redouble our efforts to do everything that we can to help them with their campaign. And of course, Mr Speaker, this week two young lives, 16-year-old Max and 15-year-old Mason, were taken in Bristol. 
and I know the whole House will join me in sending condolences to their families and their friends. Mr Speaker, one of the most difficult experiences for any member of this House is speaking to those at the sharp end of this Government's cost of living crisis. So nobody could fail to be moved by the plight of the member for Mid-Norfolk. His mortgage has gone up £1,200 a month. He's been forced to quit his dream job to pay for it. A Tory MP counting the cost of Tory chaos. After 14 years, have we finally discovered what they meant when they said, we're all in this together? <laughs> well, Mr Speaker, uh, thanks to the mortgage charter that the Chancellor introduced last year, millions of mortgage holders across the country are benefiting from support with their mortgages, because it's important rather than take the approach that the honourable gentleman just did, is actually focus on the practical support in place to help people who do need help. And someone on a typical mortgage is able to now save hundreds of pounds thanks to those uh, reforms. And actually, what we have, what we have recently seen is mortgage applications now at a multi-month high as a result of confidence returning. But if he really cared about helping people with the cost of living, Mr Speaker, he would actually do more to celebrate and acknowledge the fact that, thanks to our plan, millions of working people will now start to pay hundreds of pounds less in tax from this month's payslips, Mr Speaker. But we all know that's not a priority for him. He said he wanted to back people with a cost of living, but now he has described tax cuts, I read, as salting the earth. Uh, his shadow chancellor, it seems, is equally confused. In Davos, she said she did back tax cuts, but back here in Westminster, she called them a scorched earth policy. She, she, she obviously can't decide which Wikipedia page to copy this week. Mr Speaker, for every £2 he says he's giving people back, he's taking £10 out of their back pocket in higher tax, and he thinks they should be dancing in the street and thanking him. There are 200,000 people, Prime Minister, just like the member for Mid-Norfolk, coming off fixed-rate mortgages and paying more each and every month because they crashed the economy. Does the Prime Minister actually know how much their monthly repayments are going up by? Prime Minister, as I said, Mr Speaker, someone on a typical mortgage of about £140,000 with 17 years left is currently paying around £800 as a result of the ability to extend their mortgage term or switch to a six-month-only interest-only mortgage. They will be able to save hundreds of pounds, and that is someone on the average mortgage, uh, Mr Speaker. But again, again, Mr Speaker, again, I, he says he cares about the cost of living. The thing that would have the biggest impact on everyone's cost of living is the fact that his ideas to spend £28 billion, which we had just confirmed this morning by a shadow Treasury Minister, I heard, confirmed that they remain committed to them, but he has no plan to pay for this £28 billion, Mr Speaker. No, no plan at all. And that's typical Labour economics, because they want to keep the spending but drop the payment plan. And I actually saw at the weekend their former leader, his mentor, was clear that they'll make their sums add up with tax rises on people's assets. Their homes, their pensions and their businesses. It's the same old Labour Party, Mr Speaker. No plan and back to square one with higher taxes. Mr Speaker, they've crashed the economy, mortgages are through the roof, 
They've doubled the debt. And who thinks he thinks he can stand there and lecture other people about fiscal responsibility? But he didn't answer the question. Hundreds of thousands of people are coming off fixed-rate mortgages and facing huge mortgage increases. And the Prime Minister won't even do them the courtesy of answering the question. No, he didn't. So I'll ask him again. I was very clear at the beginning, and I mean that my constituents to hear it. If yours don't, please leave. Yes, Does the Prime Minister have any idea how much mortgages are going up by this month for those coming off fixed-rate mortgages? Prime Minister. But again, I'll just point him back to my previous answer, Mr Speaker, as I went him through. Everyone's situation will be different. As someone on a typical mortgage of around £140,000, who is currently paying £800, will be able to keep their mortgage payment essentially the same by using the facilitations that the Chancellor has put in place. But again, that's what we've done to help people, Mr Speaker. But again, it's incumbent on him to explain to the British public how his 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 policy of decarbonising the grid by 2030 is going to be funded. He won't give the answers, but helpfully, the Shadow Energy Secretary popped up at the weekend in an interview in the Sunday Times. He said they don't need a plan to pay for it, Mr Speaker, because, in his words, it will produce real savings and it makes clear economic sense. Now, the Shadow Leader here doesn't want to talk about it at all, but let me tell him, I see all these years later it's the same story. The Right Honourable Member for Doncaster North has called a promise in stone, and everyone else just looks away in embarrassment. Uh, Mr. Speaker, he just doesn't get it. They crashed the economy, mortgages skyrocketing, doubling the debt. They say they say they're going to they're going to max out the government's credit card at the next budget, but he won't. The order. I think the chief whip's getting very carried away. He doesn't want to lead everybody for a cup of tea, does he? Come on. They have forfeited the right to be lecturing others about the economy. Somebody coming off a fixed-rate mortgage is going to be paying an average of £240 more each and every month, a constant reminder that working people are paying the price for the damage that they've done to the economy. This week, I met one of the employees at Iceland in Warrington, Phil. I'm sure Phil would be... Order. Mr Gibson. So, sorry. Mr Starmer. Order. Order. The vo- same voice keeps appearing again. It won't appear anymore. So I'm just letting you know now. Kiss La- Laughing at an employee at Iceland who's struggling Shame. with his mortgage. Shame. He told me that his mortgage is going up by a staggering £1,000 a month, Prime Minister. He doesn't want other averages, other people, other stories. That's what's happening to him. If the member for Mid-Norfolk on £120,000 can't afford this Tory government, how on earth can people like Phil? Well, actually, Mr Speaker, thanks to the management of the economy, Phil and millions... I think... Phil and millions of people like him are now ensuring that inflation is less than half of the rate that it was 
when we were talking a year ago, putting more money in their pocket, and thanks to this government, Phil and millions of other workers, not just at Iceland but across the country, are benefiting this month in their pay packet for a tax cut worth hundreds of pounds for someone on an average salary. But I hope he explained to Phil. He explained to Phil the cost of his policies. Did he explain to Phil? Did he explain to Phil how Phil is going to have to pay for his £28 billion green spending spree? How it's going to cost Phil in higher taxes, more coming out of his pay packet? And did he explain to Phil that he'd be better off sticking with our plan rather than going back to square one with him? I would invite the Prime Minister to get in touch with Phil and explain to him how paying £1,000 more on his mortgage is making him better off, because that's not how he feels. He's just so out of touch. It's unbelievable. Finding hundreds of pounds extra a month, that may not seem like a big deal to the Prime Minister. But let me tell him, most people don't have that sort of money knocking around. And if that wasn't bad enough, Mr Speaker, this week... He told every council in the country to put their council tax up by the maximum of 5%. That's 26 tax rises now, Prime Minister. And he says everything's fine, people are better off. But when people see their mortgages going up, their council tax going up, food prices still going up, who does he expect them to believe? His boasts or their bank account? Minister. Well, Mr Mr. Speaker, again... I was puzzled because, again, he resorts, as always, to the politics of envy here. But after recently, after recently and repeatedly, recently and repeatedly attacking not just me but the government for lifting the bonus cap, I was genuinely surprised to see that the shadow chancellor just today has announced that she now supports the government's policy on the bankers' bonus cap. I don't, I don't know, I don't know if he mentioned that to Phil when he was having a chat with him, but I'm sure he can. He can fill us up. But I can tell him that trust, uh, trust and economic credibility come from sticking to a plan. But it's becoming clear you cannot trust a word that he says. And again, when the Shadow Chancellor says or claims that they won't borrow much, they won't raise Phil's taxes, we now know, we now know that those promises simply again, they just aren't worth the Wikipedia page they were copied from. Mr Speaker. I actually didn't expect him to be laughing at Phil. I did not expect him to be laughing at Phil. Not addressing Look, I made this statement very clear. I don't, Prime Minister, it's very serious that we make sure that people here, both you and the Leader of the Opposition, it matters to the people who watch the proceedings of this chamber, and it's not good in the behaviour that seems to be carried out. Prime Minister. The Prime Minister just doesn't get how hard it is for millions of people across the country like Phil. That is the primary problem, struggling with their mortgages, their bills, the spiralling cost of living. And the Prime Minister's response is never to take responsibility, show contrition or even any level of basic understanding. He's so detached, he thinks he can paint a world in which their problems simply don't exist. The problem is he can't even fool his own MPs, let alone anyone else. The member for Mid-Norfolk says he's exhausted. He's looking forward to new opportunities outside of Parliament. Why doesn't the Prime Minister do him a favour, call an election, so he and the whole country can move on? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, uh, uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. 
whether it's Phil, whether it's everyone else across the country, the plan that we're putting in place is working to help people and we're making progress. Just this week, taking action to stop children from vaping. Just this week, ensuring that people can visit their pharmacies to get the health care they need, freeing up millions of GP appointments. And just this week, millions of working people starting to see hundreds of pounds of tax cuts delivered in their pay packet, Mr Speaker. That is a plan that is working. All he's offering is £28 billion of tax rises. And that is the choice, Mr Speaker. It's a brighter future with us, or back to square one with them. Thank, thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, the Prime Minister likes to attend live sport, and so I wonder whether he would join me in welcoming the decision of the planning inspector in upholding Rugby Council's rejection of an application for development at Brandon Stadium in my constituency to keep the doors open for it to remain a sporting venue so that future generations will enjoy the thrills and spills of motorcycle speed, speedway and stock cars. Well, I join a honourable friend in paying tribute and being proud of actually Britain's rich history in the automotive and motorsport sectors. And the stadium that he talks about is a historic motorsport venue. And it's, whilst it's been a shame to see it fall into disrepair, I hope that the decision he refers to enables the possibility of both speedway and stock car racing to return. And I know that my honourable friend will rightly continue to champion this cause. SNP leader Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, when the Tories scrapped the cap on bankers' bonuses in the autumn during a cost-of-living crisis, the Labour Party rightly opposed it. Yet here we are, just three months later, and the Labour Party support scrapping the cap on bankers' bonuses. Shameful. But is the Prime Minister comforted by the fact that he's now no longer alone in this House on being completely out of touch with public opinion. Well, Mr Speaker, as I said at the time, we supported the decision of the independent regulator because this was the right thing for financial stability. But that, Mr Speaker, is because on this side of the House we have a set of convictions and we have a plan and we stick to it. But he's absolutely right to point out the flip-flopping and U-turning and no convictions of the party opposite. Of course, Mr Speaker, scrapping the cap on bankers' bonuses was only made possible due to Brexit. So what the Westminster parties are now telling the public is that it's, it's OK for bankers to have unlimited Brexit bonuses, but for the public sitting at home struggling to feed their families, they have to suck up and deal with the additional food price costs as a result of Brexit red tape. That is the cost and that is the reality of broken Brexit Britain. Isn't it the case that the great achievement of this Tory government is getting the Labour Party to agree to that bleak future? Mr Speaker, we're actually delivering benefits for people across Scotland, not just least in new free trade deals that are opening up markets for Scottish exporters, free ports that are attracting jobs and investment, the Brexit pubs guarantee, cutting the cost of a pint in, uh, in Scottish pubs. But when he talks about the cost of living, Mr Speaker, the thing that he could do most to help is make sure that Scotland isn't the highest tax part of the United Kingdom. Not, and it's not just for high earners, Mr Speaker. Everybody earning £28,500 or more is paying more tax in Scotland than they would in England, thanks to the SNP. Thank you, Mr Speaker. One punch thrown 
two days on life support, then three children left without a father. A four-year sentence handed down, released after two, but one grieving mother has to live a life sentence of agony. Sentencing for one-punch killers is not working in this country. Does the Prime Minister agree that now is the time to finally introduce a specific offence and a tougher minimum sentence for one-punch manslaughter? Prime Minister. I pay tribute to the work my honourable friend has done in bringing attention to so-called one-punch manslaughter and highlighting, as she knows well, the anguish those cases cause for the families of the victims. And I know the Ministry of Justice has looked very carefully at the amendment that my honourable friend has proposed, and I know that she will be meeting the Minister for Safeguarding shortly to both discuss her specific amendment and how we might best address the wider issue. Sered David. Speaker. And David, my, my constituent Millie, a wheelchair user, had a serious accident at a sporting event. Millie was left waiting on the floor in pain for over two hours before an ambulance arrived. During her months in hospital since, she's been dropped badly multiple times, left stuck in her bed for days at length. She's even been told to soil herself when there's no one to take her to the toilet. Before all this, Millie was living independently and working, but the prospect of her returning to work is being destroyed by the crisis in the NHS and care system. Yeah. I'm sure the Prime Minister will agree that no one should ever have to go through what Millie has, so will he look again at our proposals to make sure every patient gets the high-quality care they need? Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, I'm very sorry to hear about Millie's case, and if there are specific aspects of it that need to be examined, I'm sure the Health Secretary uh, will follow up with the Honourable Gentleman. And more generally, we want to make sure everyone gets the care they deserve, which is why we're not just investing record sums in the NHS, but ensuring that there are record numbers of doctors, nurses, and new innovative forms of treatment, like surgical hubs and virtual wards, all of which is showing that ambulance times that he mentioned are lower today than they were this time last year. Lynn Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The number one reason for children's hospital admissions in North Devon is for dental treatment. We have no NHS capacity and no orthodontist in Barnstable. Our dentists cannot recruit, even with large golden hellos. The emergency dental plan does seem to have been stuck at the Treasury forever. Might my right honourable friend use his spare set of keys and pop round and rescue it for us, please? My constituents and I would be ever so grateful. Prime <laughs> Minister. Uh, my, uh, my honourable friend has rightly championed the provision of dentistry in her local area. We are investing £3 billion a year, and the reform contracts in dentistry from the NHS have improved access while ensuring fairer remuneration for dentists, and we are also providing more financial support for those who need it the most. So around half of the course of treatment last year were delivered to those who are non-paying, both adults and children. But yes, more needs to be done, and that's why our dentistry recovery plan will be published shortly. Andrew Bridgen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. More than two decades ago, the then Prime Minister, Tony Blair, misled this House by promoting and endorsing the Post Office Horizon IT system as perfect. <coughs> protecting the large corporation that created it and causing untold harm and damage and misery to innocent people. 
Can the current Prime Minister think of anything he has promoted in partnership with huge businesses as safe and effective, which has ultimately harmed the British people? And will he use this opportunity to correct that safe and effective statement, or will he choose the same line as Tony Blair, sit back, do nothing, and let the misery just continue to pile up? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, as we've been clear, the Horizon scandal is a terrible miscarriage of justice, and we're doing everything that we can to make it right. Uh, to what he was more broadly insinuating, let me be unequivocal from this dispatch box that COVID vaccines are safe. Mr. Speaker. Jill Gideon. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The shocking revelations of the Horizon scandal highlighted the Post Office's financial incompetence, and my right honourable friend will know that the public's confidence in the institution is at an all-time low. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that, as high street banks are closing branches across the country, we should look to developing new community banking solutions rather than giving the post office sole responsibility for providing access to cash and other banking services in poorly served neighbourhoods? Prime Minister. Um, I, I thank my honourable friend for a question, but I, I also just say that we shouldn't mistake conflating this scandal with the actions of many hard-working local postmasters and sub-postmasters, because customers can access cash and banking services through a wide range of uh, channels, including uh, a contract with the post office counter service, which does provide a valuable channel. And that I agree with her, though, the importance of access to cash, which is why the government has legislated to protect that as part of the recent Financial Services and Markets Act and ensures that the vast majority of people should be no more than three miles away from such a cash point. John Butler. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, one of the Nolan principles, integrity, states that holders of public office should not act to gain material benefits for themselves, their family, or their friends. Prime Minister, on the 6th of January, you tweeted a link to the Conservative Party website which seemed to scrape people's data and place unwanted cookies on their machines. The Good Law Project is now pursuing. Can the, can the, Prime, Minister, can the Prime Minister assure the House that no laws have been broken by his party? Yes. Mr Speaker, of course our party follows all laws. <laughs> Robert Jenrick. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, a first responsibility for government is to fix the housing crisis that young people didn't cause. Three years ago, we dragged house building in this country up to the highest level since 1987, after the last Labour government left it at its lowest level since the 1920s. But house building is weakening. We need to do more. Will my right honourable friend consider using the budget? to do as he and I did together during the pandemic and cut stamp duty to boost housing starts, to reignite the economy and to support thousands of businesses across our country. Well, my uh, right honourable friend is right to point out that since 2010 we have delivered two and a half million additional homes on track to deliver a million just in this parliament and help over 850,000 families into home ownership through schemes such as help to buy and right to buy. Obviously tax decisions are a matter for the Chancellor, but I would point out that our existing stamp duty relief for first-time buyers ensures the vast majority of first-time buyers in our country pay absolutely no stamp duty. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The APPG on eye health and visual impairment has today published polling that found that nearly half of employers exclude blind and partially sighted people from their workplaces, 
and one in four said that they would not be willing to make workplace adjustments. The disability employment gap remains stubbornly at 30%, and the pay gap means that blind and partially sighted people effectively work for free for 47 days of the year. So will the Prime Minister meet with me and sight loss organisations to discuss how we can create a more inclusive workforce? I I share the Honourable Lady's ambition to have an inclusive workforce and the record in supporting those with disabilities into work over the past several years has been incredibly strong. I know this is something that the uh, Work and Pension Secretary is actively looking at and making sure that our accessibility plan is up to date and inclusive and I'll ensure that she gets a meeting with the relevant minister. Mr Speaker, having visited recently, I know that Israel remains in shock following the rape, murder and butchery of Hamas. All of us want to see a peaceful and demilitarised Palestinian state. However, Hamas remain in control in large parts of Gaza. They support uh, is growing in the West Bank. That nearly two-thirds of Palestinians in uh, polling reject coexistence with Israel, and the Palestinian Authority has continued to promote hatred of Jews. Does my right honourable friend agree that any recognition of a Palestinian state must address these issues and can only come about as part of a negotiated settlement between Israel and the Palestinians? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, the government's position is clear. My honourable friend is right that there are steps and conditions that need to be put in place on this journey. First and foremost, the removal of Hamas from Gaza, a Palestinian-led government in Gaza and the West Bank, a concrete plan to reform and support the Palestinian Authority, a reconstruction plan for Gaza and a two-state solution which we have long supported. So let me be clear, we stand with Israel and the terrorist threat that they face must be eliminated and Israel's lasting security must be guaranteed. Mr Speaker, on 15 November last year, I appealed to the Prime Minister to choose de-escalation and peace over violence, death and destruction. He called me naive. So far, over 26,000 souls have perished in Gaza. In a powerful and moving open letter in Monday's New York Times, the Jewish Voice for Peace Rabbinical Council cited Deuteronomy. I have put before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life, accusing President Biden of choosing death. If the Prime Minister won't listen to me or the ICJ, will he listen to the Rabbinical Council or will he call them naive too? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I've been clear multiple times that we are concerned, deeply concerned, about the impact of the fighting in Gaza on the civilian population. Too many people have lost their lives and there is a desperate need for increased humanitarian support. In Gaza. I won't go over all the debates we've had about the conditions that are necessary for an immediate pause leading to a sustainable ceasefire, but I can assure the House that we are doing everything that we can to get more aid into the region as quickly as possible. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Chatham Docks supports over 800 local high-value jobs which are at risk as the owners are continuing in their pursuit to displace successful businesses such as ArcelorMittal Kempwire. The Labour Council are failing to honour the commitment they made before the local elections to protect the docks and the jobs, even their leader. The Right Honourable Member for Holborn and St Pancras said he was proudly backing Save Chatham Docks campaign. Will my Right Honourable Friend meet with me to see how we can protect the docks and save those jobs for my constituents? And isn't this just another example of how Labour and their leaders change their position depending on which way the wind blows? 
Mr Speaker, my honourable friend has been a constant champion of Chatham Docks, and I am disappointed to hear that the local Labour Council are failing to honour the commitments that, they're that they've made. But also, as she points out, I'm not surprised to see that the Leader of the Opposition has said one thing and then consequently done another. The docks support hundreds of jobs, and I join with her in calling on the Council to rethink their approach. That completes Prime Minister's questions.